Hello and welcome to The Blue Couch brought to you by Eiffel Corp. Founded in 1998, Eiffel Corp has established itself as the leading provider of educational technology and training solutions in Africa. Eiffel Corp, the hub of education, technology and innovation. Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Blue Couch. Couch. I'm your host today. My name is Matty and I'm not alone. Yes, I, and Matty is with Alata. And today we're going to be bringing you quite an interesting um, episode as it is our first episode on The Blue Couch. Um, and the premise of the show is just to basically get everybody to understand the importance of education in the digital or technology space and how we can actually incorporate that into everyday living. Indeed it is. So the Blue Couch, how did it start exactly? Tell us a bit more about that. Um, I think the Blue Couch actually is is a foundation for us to start something which is a first, um, to be able to bring um, information to people as opposed to reading it, for you to just listen and get a feel and idea about how we can actually um, advance ourselves and everything that we do in today's world. Mm -hmm. And funny enough, the the topics that we are going to be talking about is your education system. Is it broken? The digital course design, is it working? So there's going to be quite a lot, a lot of interesting things that are about to actually unfold in the podcast as well. So who are our guests? So we obviously didn't want to go out and just find anyone, but we do have quite experienced people in-house. So today we will be joined by Miles, who is the Director of Digital Learning Services. And we've got Nikki, who is our instructional designer. So they come with a lot of experience. So we're super excited to have you guys here. So welcome. Great. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. We're doing very well. Thank you. So on today's topic, education. The importance of digital skills development for educators. I mean, the first question that comes to to mind, Miles, is um, do you think technology is actually working um, in the educational space? Um, And I think just to maybe put that... um, Okay. Um, Yeah, into context. What are some of the opportunities presented by digital technology for education generally? And what can educators do to prepare um, for the future? So, I mean, there's there's, there's two questions. I mean, I think let's deal with that first one. Um, Is technology working for educators? And I mean, uh, let's give the context of where we are right now. We're in the midst of the COVID-19 epidemic globally. uh, And so it's putting the spotlight on digital skills and what teachers can do to enable school, children, educators, higher education students and training of all kinds um, to, it's, it's, it's showing spotlight on how they can actually leverage technology to complete the academic year. Um, so I think it's somewhat complex. Um, what we're certainly seeing is uh, we're, we're seeing the preparedness of educators for dealing with such an event. I mean, this really is a black swan event Nobody can anticipate something like this. Um, and we're, we're, it's going to be revealed relatively quickly around who is actually prepared for teaching in the digital space and who isn't. Oh. Uh, we've known for many years in South Africa that uh, unfortunately that many educators aren't quite as ready as they should be. Um, even though we've had you know, digital platforms in place for all of that time, I mean, since really the advent of the internet, um, and certainly AlphaCore has been involved in, uh, we, we implemented the first LMS uh, in the country. So in, in that whole time, uh, we've obviously recognized that skills development for educators is really important because they are the ones that are actually applying the technology for their teaching programs. 
Um, so in that time, we've seen that uh, there's a lot of skills development is required. And obviously now in cases like this, where there's masses of school children not necessarily at home or students not at home, um, the spotlight, as you've mentioned, really is on how educators need to leverage technology uh, to complete their programs. Sure. I think you've touched on quite um, on some on some interesting topics there. Nikki, would you like to? Yeah, I just wanted to say if you've been on social media within the last couple of days in South Africa, you would have seen the panic and the the cheat sheets that have been published by very good educators and well-known educators um, throughout the world trying to help it teachers like know now what they should do. There's a couple of steps that you should maybe consult somebody. Try to just remember that. Um, using technology is not quick and something you can do on the fly. You actually really have to plan properly. So it's like some um, tricks and cheats, cheat, cheat sheets that have been used multiple times, like all over the network and all over Twitter. And what is actually interesting is that, um, I can't remember who it was, they were saying, oh, so now um, online education is all of a sudden good enough, where previously it hasn't been. And it's always been known as a second-rate kind of education system, but now everyone's using it. But what's important, I think, as well, is not just to focus on giving cheat sheets to the teachers, but to the students as well, because a lot of these lecturers are first-year students, you can think of them, they need to prepare themselves, so they need to make sure that they've got somewhere where they can study, and it's not just that, it's that they, the people in their lives respect the space, that they give them time, they're not going to be interrupted and they continue to study online in this, or what they're actually referring to as remote learning. Yeah, oh, it's, it's quite a wicked problem because there's so many aspects to it. Um, also, specifically for South Africa, we have many contextual issues, you know, like access to data, uh, coverage of things like Wi-Fi, accessibility on campus and things like that. So if we bring it back to the lecturer and the educator specifically, um, I mean, we're really kind of thinking about what are the things that uh, higher education institutions are doing for educators? Um, are they giving them the opportunity to develop themselves? And have they done that previously? Um, yes, the situation now is kind of exposing the lack of training that's potentially happened um, and the lack of familiarity that a lot of the lecturers have. Uh, but we mustn't forget that there are many higher education uh, lecturers, teachers, professionals who actually have gone through these processes. So they're much better prepared for dealing with a situation like this where they have to pivot very quickly. Yeah. Um, the real challenge is going to be for those who have kind of resisted it for many years, um, who haven't really taken on board the, the best components of it and tried to internalize that and customize it for their, their learning programs. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a complex issue. Um, I think we, we're going to learn a lot out of this process. Um, I think obviously it's terrible that people are getting infected and they, you know, there will unfortunately be some fatalities associated with this. Um, but this is a really good opportunity actually for educators to try out a lot of the things that they've always wanted to do potentially. Um, it's not ideal, they're going to have to do it pretty rapidly. Um, and uh, that's the, the kind of mantra that we always follow is not everything works. You know, you really have to contextualize it. We also have to be sensitive to the fact that 80% of the learners in this country don't have access to a PC. You know, so many of the, we, we work with a lot of very uh, um, uh, institutions that have a lot of facilities like labs that have, you know, uh, that have data access, that, have, that can buy data, uh, typically your urban students, uh, and they will do pretty well out of this. They'll be able to pivot pretty quickly uh, because they're really acclimatized to working online to some degree. Even if not on a program, they can at least access the technology. 
But for those 80%, you know, typically uh, school children, rural situations, uh, students from poorer households uh, that, that, you know, always need funding and that sort of thing, this is not going to be as easy for them. And likewise, for those lecturers, it's going to be a lot more challenging for them to find ways of interacting with them and keeping the, the academic program going based on that. So they're going to have to be really creative. So that presents potentially some of the opportunities associated with this current issue that we're having. Um, and uh, hopefully it provides some impetus for them post the problem that we've dealt with, we're dealing with. Um, so that it, it kind of gives some renewed focus, certainly for institutions, mm. to then reprioritize mm. training and familiarization programs, mm. um, and also individual lecturers. Um, so, I mean, re research that I recently conducted is, uh, across a number of lecturers, um, polled them on some of the challenges associated with lecture, uh, acquiring digital skills for teaching. And the biggest indicator was attitude. Yeah. You need to have the right attitude in order to be uh, open to changing your teaching processes, yeah. uh, looking at the way tools can augment your program, um, and basically, you know, giving you, you need to have a positive outlook on the yeah. way that you do this. Um, that's a big part of it. Yeah, ask, I can also predict, and I don't want to be the negative person in the room, but it's going to go badly. Some students are going to get content dumped on them and they're going to, other than not being able to find libraries and places where they can actually access it, uh, they're going to be overloaded because the lecturers are just going to dump as much work and it's going to be um, ticks behind glass. So we need to be aware of that. But I think the whole aim is that if people at the end, after the panic has passed, if people can look back and go, okay, so how could I have done the online better and how can I use it now in the future? Because they will come across tools that are going to be useful to them. Yeah, that's very true. I want to actually pick your brain on something. You mentioned that they should, okay, you mentioned something of they will be falling behind. Do you think, okay, which is the best tool they can actually use to catch up? Are you talking in terms of higher education? Um, best tool to catch up. <laughs> you know, that's how, like the bane of my existence is, is planning post-strikes, you know, your, your plans, your, your recovery plans. I think the thing is that if you're at the beginning of your programs, the students should know exactly what is required of them. So that's really important when you now, that's I think also why we had those two days that the, the government gave the lecturers to say that we are only closing on the 18th, so that we could prepare the students. So that we, we inform them, we know, let them know exactly what they need to, to do and what is expected of them. What tool? Ah, that's all very, could be anything. It, the best thing there would be to go to your institution because some institutions would have very strict or, and get expert advice. So if your institution has a educational technology department, then they would be able to advise you saying that we must use our learning management system or VLE, or if you don't have anything, speak to colleagues and to find out what they're using because there are open source tools available that you can use. But you need to also ensure that all your students have access to that for the time. Another great idea is um, to have a bit of a community of practice. So in this time when we are all stressed, contact lecturers, friends of yours, even from other faculties, other institutions that you know that have been using um, digital education or tool, digital tools and that will be able to assist you and guide you in that right way. I think that's the whole thing is that Everyone sitting at home now being self-isolated is actually very lonely. So to use those tools and some ideas. Just to collaborate yeah. with everyone else. Okay. Yeah, there's lots of um, synchronous tools. So you can look at like Microsoft Teams, Zoom Rooms. Um, I think every time 
somebody that's never experienced those synchronous tools um, has them. I actually showed them to my husband last night. He was very excited. So I think lots of other people also don't realize what tools and technologies out there. But like um, Miles was saying, though, we are just catering for 20% of our population like that. So we really need to make sure that we cater for the rest of the population. That's very true. Which leads me to my next question. I think I'll direct this to both of you. So Forbes magazine identified top six trends in digital transformation in education. So the first one is gamification, personalized learning, classroom set of devices, redesigned learning spaces, artificial intelligence, and VR, which is basically your augmented reality. So of these six, who, which ones would you think with how the education sector is situated right now, or let me put it, um, the circumstances as they arise right now currently, which one would be the best suited? Or it could be any of the six. It doesn't have to be one. Well, I mean, you know, trends emerge all the time. Uh, I mean, back, you know, 2013, it was the app. And then we had the MOOC, which was very popular. And then more recently, we've had uh, micro-credentialing and micro-learning. We're emerging now to one that's personalization. So we, we're going to consistently have these trends. Um, the problem, I think, with trends is it, it, it depends who you're polling uh, and it depends who you're asking. So, you know, something like uh, one of them is AR and VR. Um, it's persistently a trend, uh, certainly over the last few years. Um, I think we've all used it. We're all familiar with what it can do. But in terms of actual application, personally, I haven't seen one instance where it is a consistent part of a learning program. So it does provide instances where it, it can do certain things very well. So for instance, uh, I mean, locally, the University of Pretoria has a mining application where they train miners mm -hmm. uh, in you know, dangerous situations. So obviously, it's, it's conducive to that because you don't have to put people underground. Um, but that's one specific instance. There's significant investment in that. It takes a long time to set up and train people to do it. Um, so in terms of its sustainability, which is, you know, which is really key in a lot of these things, mm -hmm. is it really going to pay massive dividends in that respect? Um, personally, I mean, the, the, the jury's still out. Um, and it remains on the trends list because, let's be honest, it's quite cool. Um, and it has, it has massive potential. But, you know, are we going to see uh, children sitting in classroom learning with VR for six hours a day? Mm. No. It's not actually practical. It's not, exactly. It's not practical and it doesn't suit every kind of instance. Also, if you're teaching literature, I mean, you could potentially augment your program with that, but you're certainly, it's not going to be a staple means of doing it. True. There's not going to be like a full experience of understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if we talk about the trends, I think it's something that really has to be contextualized for every institution. Mm. And as you mentioned, you know, if you're, if you're a lecturer and you're sitting in a rural university, what does it really mean for you, you know, AR and VR? Uh, there, there might be ways you can use it, but actually maybe some of the better ways you can reach your students is just be consistent with email communication. Mm -hmm. You know, have a communications plan. That's using basic technology. That's mm -hmm. using tools that is freely available through, my, you know, tools that are, uh, companies like Google and Microsoft. Mm -hmm. They make all these things available. Um, and, and that's the kind of the thing that we find in a lot of the training we do is lectures that kind of dismiss basic concepts which are there already for them to use. Mm -hmm. uh, and they kind of slip back to things that they're comfortable using. Um, and that's, that's what I think, just coming back to the, the, you know, what the situation we're finding now mm -hmm. is, as Nikki said, you know, digital education training, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long time. There is a dip in productivity because you kind of have to figure things out. It's constantly innovating as well. Mm -hmm. 
and lecturers as it is have to deal with many challenges on a daily basis, not least of which is just normal teaching. Um, you know, we have a whole social social history in this country of, you know, all sorts of things going on campus all the time. Um, so it, it can be a complex space and just achieving, you know, your daily functions can be difficult. Mm -hmm. So we, we can complicate it even more when we start looking at like very trending pieces of technology. Mm -hmm. um, so like many others, I'm sure you've, we've attended these amazing conferences and we get showcased what, what the VR and AR can do, can do but how, how applicable is it really? Mm -hmm. So I think for me, that, that's really important is, you know, design for your context, design with the tools that you have. Um, if, you, if you then build the capacity and the, the capability to implement those trendy tools, and obviously you've got to keep your eye on the horizon for what's coming next, then by all means do it. Um, but I think, you know, try and meet the needs of 80% of your students now yeah. using what you got, um, as opposed to, to trying to design for a future we don't have yet. Yeah. I, I just, can I just add to that? One of those topics there was personalized learning, and that is very American. Um, it's not really that focused in South Africa because in America um, it's got to do with adaptive learning. So you can choose different modules and create your own program. So where our um, higher education qualification framework doesn't allow for that. So some of those, um, as much as personalized learning is really, it is actually great and there's lots of opportunities. We need but to also, we need well to remember it like in, yeah, in terms of our context that it will be different to what's actually is related to in the Western countries. Oh, okay, sounds very interesting. Matty? So I just want to go back a bit. You mentioned um, the resistance from an educator or lecturer perspective when it comes to um, implementing change. And I think naturally with any human being, we tend to resist that. Um, but you also mentioned the teachers that could potentially be in the rural areas who it's not so much resistance, it's um, access to actually using tools that are necessary right now. Um, I think my question is, what is it that, um, I mean, they're probably sitting and saying, okay, everyone is talking about this digital space. What does it mean for me? So why is it important for the teacher that's sitting somewhere and, and probably listening to us and asking themselves, but why do I need to do this shift? Why is this transformation so important? So why is it important for an educator to have these skills? So, I mean, remember the, the reason that people go to, you know, well, obviously firstly school and then university is to train to be a productive member of society by gaining skills to, to do work. And as we see now with the fourth industrial revolution and how it's innovating in the workspace, I mean, technology is becoming an intrinsic part of the way we do everything. Yeah. You know, we communicate on technology, we live with it, we watch it, um, we talk about it. So it's in everything we do. So obviously it's natural that it's got to be part of our training programs as yeah. well. So obviously uh, tech, uh, educators are leveraging the technology to be better educators. Yeah. But in the secondary thing they're doing is they're actually getting their students habituated to using technology on a consistent basis yeah. because what's going to happen when they go to work, they're going to be using technology to complete the tasks as well. Yeah. And what's more likely is, and we were seeing that already, I mean, this, uh, this whole COVID issue is really just kind of putting the accelerate button on that, mm -hmm. is that the types of skills that people are needing to pick up have to happen very rapidly. Um, they usually kind of workplace type skills. So they need to be you know, used to an environment where they, they're learning through technology yeah. so they can augment their skills for a workplace where automation is going to start happening a lot more readily, mm -hmm. um, more quickly, um, so it, it means that they're going to have to consistently skill themselves. Yeah. So it's two things. I think it's, it's using their technology to provide a better set of, 
learning opportunities yeah. potentially. And then that secondly, as I said, getting them used to the fact that they will be learning through technology. Yeah. And it's not a case of, I mean, we have these questions all the time. And I mean, I think this is part of the resistance from lecturers as well, is that students aren't really, we often complain about it, students aren't really ready for the workplace. Mm -hmm. And we hear yes. that from employers all the time. Mm -hmm. It's like, you, you have a BCom degree or you have an MSc, but you still don't really have the skills I need. Sure. Um, and then they have to retrain a lot of those guys so they can be ready for the workplace. Yeah. And I mean, that's really the point of university, yeah. is to give you the underlying skills and the capabilities so that when you get to the workplace, you hit the ground running. But there's a disconnect, and this is happening across the world. Mm. You know, So for us, I mean, certainly, and for me, it makes sense. That's why we should be using technology. So we can habituate people to the technology environments. They are used to using the technology as a medium for enabling themselves. Yeah. And, and ultimately as well is we imbue those students with a greater sense of self-direction. Yeah. So we tell them that actually by the end of your schooling already, you are actually responsible for your own learning. The teacher is a guide to help you do that. Mm -hmm. uh, by the time you get to university, you're now really kind of, you should be mature in how, the yeah. way that you do this. Um, I mean, we all know what students are like, so you can let your head down a little bit. Um, but when it comes to your learning, I mean, at the, at the end of your three-year period or five-year period, whatever it is for your specific program, I'm sorry, most of them are four now, um, you should actually be ready to onboard your s skills yourself, you know, and the lecturer is really the person that creates that environment for the learning to happen, you know, because they obviously they've done this many times before. They shouldn't really be the ones to actually be giving you consistent spoon feeding mm -hmm. around what it is that you need to do next because really that's the future we're going to have yeah that's very true all right before you wrap up um there's one last question what springs to mind when i say online university oh my goodness uh, <laughs> there's so much to say i uh, um okay what comes springs to mind is automatically flexibility. I think we can agree that our, our student population is changing. So the students that we have now are either working um, part-time, full-time, they've got family responsibilities with 4IR. I mean, a lot of um, professionals out there are actually needing to update their skills every day so that we are um, current with and able to, move, yeah, to improve mm -hmm. in our, our jobs. You actually remind me, I'm also studying an online course. So it's actually a very, very interesting topic because you find that you get so much material. You have something called an LMS now. So you get your material there and you study at your own time. Flexibility yes. is a thing as well. On top of flexibility, you can literally use, utilize the time you want on the course and you can break it down the way you want it. So it's basically your own form of learning as well. Miles, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, the, the concept of what is a university um, used to be imbued in its sort of physical presence mm. as a place to go. In a building These that's concrete. Buildings, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and I mean, in, in the context of some very old universities in Europe and America and that sort mm. of thing, I mean, we're a lot younger here in South Africa. But I mean, it, it's a think about the types of social gatherings that happen at a university, the mm. thinking that happens, you know, formally and informally. You know, students are learning, but they're also discussing and debating concepts. Yeah. Uh, what's important in my life? You're now becoming so much more socially aware. So, you know, the university campus as a physical place mm -hmm. uh, is such an important place sure. for learning in so many different spheres. Um, how, does it, how does that change now that it's become virtual? Does it become less so 
Um, what is our relationship with the university? So, I mean, I've studied at universities where I attended classes every day, mm -hmm. and I've also studied at universities where I've never even set foot on the campus. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you have a bit of a different relationship to it. Um, I suppose it's it's quite personal in many respects. Um, potentially, also has something to do with what particular subject you might be undertaking there, what level you are in your career and how important it is. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's a very personal experience for many people. Mm -hmm. In terms of answering it, what is the digital university? Um, uh, I think, again, this situation is going to force a lot of institutions to find out. Mm -hmm. um, again, given the context of our country, there's a lot of campuses where they only do physical presence. You know, if you can't go to the university, you're not studying. Uh, mm -hmm. where there's other universities who've completely pivoted online mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they, they've, all those students are, you know, ready, they're working, they're self-directed, yeah. uh, courses are carrying on, you know, and does the university really mean that much to them anymore? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's debatable. Do I really care that, you know, there are fantastic gyms and there's a social club there and student bar and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't really matter to me. But, I mean, I'm at a certain stage in my life where, that sort of thing is important. What is it going to mean for a lot of the youth in our country? Mm. How will they prioritize what is a campus and does it mean they need to be there? Is it a preference? Isn't it? You know, um, also the kind of looking at this from a traditional perspective, I mean, like social movements, many of them were built at universities, yes. you know, and that's an important context and it's important history for those organizations that that's where it comes from. I mean, thinking of the ANC, it was born at Fort Hare University, if you think about it. You know, uh, and that's where a lot of that movement came from. Yeah. You know, so uh, I think universities really have to kind of answer this question for themselves. Yeah. You know, that's a very interesting. There's we could so go much, on and right? on. There's so much to discuss. <laughs> but I think um, our parting thought and maybe the parting question, and I know you, you could provide us with the answer, is what has the COVID 19 taught us about the preparedness of educators? I, I think, uh, I mean, I probably sound somewhat pessimistic in this. I mean, we, we do a lot of lecture skills development training through our DTX program. So we kind of see the general preparedness of a lot of faculty out there. Um, I'd have to say it's, it's not as good as we'd hope it would be. Um, the, good, the good part to this, though, is that we're not unlike anywhere else in the world. We are very used to seeing this kind of resistance from lectures on a daily basis around why, must I need, why, need, why do I need to go online? I don't feel like my students can achieve the outcomes they can if I'm in the class. Yeah. Um, and in many cases, universities kind of have policies where they force their lecturers to kind of teach a component online. They don't incentivize them. There's no recognition either. Um, so I, I think we're going to see a lot of people struggling. Um, I think that's kind of what's happening now. A lot of lecturers are like, how do I do this? That's why they're um, looking at Twitter. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, they're a little bit panicked. Um, but, you know, and what's, it's come up quite often for me recently is um, that, that statement like, don't waste a good crisis. Um, and so we've seen some good examples of, you know, the uh, one example is the, the law faculty at the University of Pretoria. Mm. So they were very severely affected by the uh, fees must fall uh, movement in 2015. And they made an active decision to fully pivot to online. Now they're one of the biggest adopters of online technology. Mm. And so issues like COVID-19 it's kind of like, a, all right, it's a problem, but we'll deal with it because they are able to pivot very quickly online. Yeah. So they've enabled their lecturers. The lecturers have got a personal plan and they allow a level of flexibility in their teaching for lecturers. So, you know, we have a set of tools that we can apply across our teaching programs. 
because you teach a certain way doesn't mean we all have to do it that way. Sure. But they, the, the lecturers are, uh, they are experienced enough to know what works and what doesn't work, and they can uh, devise something at a personal level that works for their particular teaching programs. So I think it's, there's going to be a mix. I think there's going to be a lot of really very busy people in the next couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> very, very busy. Uh, struggling to find out what they are. But again, hopefully this is a learning process. And hopefully they're going to keep some of these... Um, techniques that they've learned and take them forward when the crisis passes. Sure. So I think we just found a really awesome quote and I think it really spoke to today's topic um, and it's by Bill Gates and he says, technology is just a tool. In terms of getting the kids working together and motivating them, the teacher is the most important. And I think it really sums up the conversation that we have had today. Um, I think I've learned a lot personally from just having this conversation with you. So we do really want to extend our gratitude for joining us today and I, I know the people that are listening to this have gained so much insight as much as I have. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of The Blue Couch. If you are as fanatical about learning as we are, make sure to visit our website on www.ifocorp.co.za. To subscribe to the podcast, you can use any podcast platform by simply searching for The Blue Couch, subscribing and streaming away. Eiffel Corp, the hub of innovation, technology and education.